Today we begin a study I've been very much looking forward to and excited about preaching on the family. The title of our series is Modern Family and Vintage Values. And before I go any further, I want to say a word of thanks to Dave Lewis and Carol who have been with us over the weekend. And they did a great job Friday night at our uh, couples uh, seminar and then again yesterday doing some small group training and then again this morning speaking up in our uh, married adult classes. So thank you so much and it's just a great way to kick off these next seven or eight weeks on, on the family and I thank Chad for stepping in for me last week on such short notice and he did a marvelous job and uh, you know he's a great servant. He stands up here and he preaches and now he's in the preschool serving with our children today. So what a great guy and thank you for uh, praying for me, I am um, just about, I think, over this stuff uh, completely. So today we're going to study uh, the book of beginnings. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as we look at this series of messages, and we're calling it Modern Family and Vintage Values. Do you think it is possible to have a modern family today, a family in the modern world, if you will, but still maintain those vintage core values, yea, those biblical values espoused in the Word of God and reiterated over and over from Genesis to Revelation, the preeminence and the importance of the family. But do you think we can do this and, uh, and maintain truth to the Scriptures? Well, I, I wholeheartedly, inexorably believe that it is possible. In fact, as I, over these last few weeks, and even this morning as I was watching a... Um, watching a segment on television, and one of my favorite people, Dr. Ben Carson, as he was speaking at the presidential prayer breakfast with President Obama sitting right there, and this guy's just saying a lot of things that the president totally disagrees with, and I personally just loved it. But anyhow, it, to, to me it's just it's fascinating that the further we as a culture drift from Scripture, and by the way, we are adrift. We, we are far away from the biblical values and the mores that, according to Scripture, and the more we drift as a culture, the more important it's going to be for us as followers of Christ to take a stand. Now, as we take a stand, for example, for the value of life, the value of the unborn or the value of the elderly, as we are champions for life in a culture that is sweeping evermore into the chasm of death, as we stand, for example, for the biblical definition of marriage. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible endorses only one man for one woman for one life. That is the scriptural parameters. Now, when we take a stand for that in the midst of our postmodern, post-Christian culture, let me ask you something. How do we do that? How do we do that without coming across as archaic and antiquated and dinosauric and mean? You know, how do we stand for God in our modern families with vintage values, and how do we do it with grace and with love? I think if you answer that, then you're going to be on your way to a great church. I really believe that. If we answer that, and I would share this with young pastors and young preachers. I would share this with my son who just surrendered to the ministry last year. In fact, we had this conversation recently. It's not going to get better, okay? Barring a supernatural miracle of God, like one of the four great awakenings. Barring that, we're going to continue to drift away from the anchor of our soul and the anchor of our culture, and that is the Scriptures. So how do we stand our ground, and how do we do this with grace uh, and, with, and with love? Well, that's what I'm going to try to do today. 
I'm going to try to come alongside of you and those of you that are standing with the Lord and with Scripture and you want to do what is right, but you, you face the sea, the avalanche, the torrents just roll over your soul. And sometimes you just want to say, God, is it worth it? I mean, really, is it worth standing for you in the midst? I am such a minority, God. I am so much in the minimum, God. And yet God comes along to you just like today in a message like this, a simple message, a basic axiomatic message on the, on the family, and God begins to bolster you. God begins to put the ground underneath your feet and make it strong. And you begin to lift up your head and say, oh, God, I am not alone. I have people. I have the church that is with me. In fact, speaking of being not alone, I read an article Ross Hartsfield gave me a few weeks ago, and, and he began to summarize this article, and I didn't like where it was going. i just be honest with you. I was listening to Ross, but I was like, oh, boy, this is not a good story. And he goes, yeah, he goes, Pastor, over in France, in Paris. So I didn't, automatically, I was kind of jaded. I was like, what good thing cometh out of Paris? And so, I mean, really, I was just, just kind of jaded about it. And he says, yeah, he said, did you hear about the hundreds and hundreds of thousands who marched in Paris, France about this issue of, of marriage? And I was like, no, I haven't, but go ahead and tell me what I already know. He said, no, no, read the article. And I said, okay, I read the article, and I was, I was astounded. 340,000 Parisians marched for three miles and converged on the Eiffel Tower with one message to the president of France, and it was this. We believe that marriage ought to be between one man and one woman. 340,000 Parisians. Y'all didn't see that on Fox or CBS, did you? We missed that on ABC, didn't we, and CNN. Well, it's there. God has his people. He has his people in Austin. He has his people in Paris. He has his people everywhere who believe in the Word of God, in the Scripture. So let me read this passage of Scripture to you. It's Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And we're just going to go back to the beginnings, the book of beginnings, and look at the way that God creates, affirms, blesses, exalts the family. The family. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That would be everything. So God created man. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male, watch this, male and female, God created them. Then God blessed them. The antecedent, the, per, the pronoun refers to male, female, man, woman. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve, here we go. I've created you. I've ordained you. I've blessed you. Now I'm commissioning you. Go and have babies. Amen. Have families. And God says, I like that. It's my ideal. I created it. Go and enjoy it. Now, the creation account, it's one creation account, but there's two different 
or there's two shades, or there's two ways of describing it. Genesis 1, now Genesis 2. And the Lord God said, you know, it's not good that man should be alone. And Dave Lewis pointed this out in our seminar. Genesis 2 comes before Genesis 3. Even before the fall, before sin entered the world in Genesis 3, man, it was not good for man to be alone. It is not good that man should be alone, so I will make him a slave, someone that he can just tell what to do and trump over the rest of his life. No, not at all. I will make him a helper who is comparable to him. Notice it does not say she is inferior to him. It does not say she is superior to him. She is just complementary to him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. You know, just the birds wouldn't do, the, uh, you know, the rhinoceros is not going to do, and so we, we need somebody like you. And so God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and the president of our Southern Baptist Convention calls his wife his prime rib. I love that. (laughs) My prime rib. And then God closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, ah, whoa, man, woman. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now look at verse 24. Words that we'll read in a moment from Matthew 19. When Jesus quotes these very words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his... Everybody say it. That's what the Scripture says. Is that complicated? Is that controversial? You better believe it. It's not complicated, but it's highly explosive and controversial. Leave your father and your mother, college age, 30 years, 40, whatever, you got to leave, leave mom and dad eventually. All right, and then they shall become one flesh. Oh, isn't that amazing? And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I love reading that story. It's not a myth. It's, it's not a fable. It sure beats the alternative. Okay? So let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the creation of the family. And this is God's idea very clearly, very conspicuously in Scripture. The Bible says that God created man, and he created woman, and he said, come together and then be fruitful and multiply. This homogeneous unit of a man and a woman and procreation and having children, this is all God's idea. I think we give mass mutation and natural selection way too much credit. In fact, Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages developed a proof for the existence of God, and he called it the teleological argument for the existence of God. And this is in the Middle Ages, around the 11th and 12th century A.D. Thomas Aquinas was a, was a great theologian in the Catholic Church. 
And he said the teleological argument from the Greek word teleos means purpose. He said from the cosmos we see amazing detail and order and purpose. Everything is just fits so perfectly in all of these chemical and natural and mathematical laws of physics and thermodynamics. It's so amazing. Surely... It could not have been burped out of some primordial uh, soup, prebiotic soup. Surely, to the rational thinking man, somebody had to create it. I would extrapolate the teleological argument for the existence of God in nature, and I would apply that to the family. Think about it. Now, we take it for granted. Yeah, I'm, I'm a man. Yeah, she's a woman. Hey, she looks good. Oh, he doesn't look too bad. And hey, let's date. And hey, let's get married. And let's have kids. Guys, that is astounding. Who thought of that? Who thought of the, the depth of love? Who thought of falling in love? Who thought of attraction of a man and a woman? And, and who thought that they would come together in sexual union? And by the way, man and woman are the only two who do that face to face. Think about that later, but we're the only ones. Who thought of that? I'm telling you, it's all God's idea. He likes it. He loves it because he created it, and we get in trouble when we tamper with it. Okay? So God is the author of all of the stuff that we call the family. In fact, verse 27 says, He crafted and formed them male and female, and then he said to them. Now notice, he speaks because they can hear him. He speaks to them directly. Now he does say, be fruitful and and, and multiply. Go and fill the earth, you animals. And, And they do, but it doesn't say he speaks directly to them so that they can look up and they can hear. That's called the imago deo, the image of God. You and I, as humanity, male and female, we are created in God's image. We are unlike the inanimate objects. We are unlike the stars and the, unlike the, the planets. We are unlike the, the elephant, and we are unlike the lion. We have this amazing capacity to hear God, know God, and fellowship with God. That's God's doings, by the way. He created us. He crafted us, male and and female. And and I know I'm not sharing with you anything that you don't already know, but isn't it good sometimes just to be reminded of what we already know and affirm us and encourage us? You remember in the Genesis story in chapter 1, after God, and I checked this again in studying this text, after every time God created something on a day, he said, "It it is good. Man, when he created man and woman, and he created Adam and Eve, and he created the homogeneous, basic nuclear unit of a family, when he said, you come together and you be fruitful and you multiply, and on the sixth day, God did not just say it was good. He said what? He said it's very, very good because it's his doing. It's his creation. In Genesis chapter 2, I, may, I read a moment ago in verse 18, he says, I'm going to make somebody for you, Adam, a helper who is comparable to him. Now, the word helper, please don't think that a derogatory term. Did you know in the Hebrew, that word is used to describe Almighty God himself. 
How about that, ladies? You're in good company. The same vernacular, the same verbiage to describe your nature is used to describe God's nature when it says in in Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord, the Lord who is our helper. He is our help and he is our shield. Here are some ways that woman compliments man. Now, by the way, this is all God's creation, but listen to these ways. Number one, she assists him in obeying God's word. She compliments him in spiritual worship. She joins with him in the procreation of the human race. And I want you to know something. It is absolutely impossible to procreate the human race with two males or two females. You got to have them both, baby. You got to have a man and you got to have a woman if you're going to have some infants, if you want to have a nursery or a preschool, all right? So a man and a woman, they come together, they procreate. He, she is a friend to comfort him, and she is one who encourages him. One writer puts it this way, the woman is the perfect counterpart of a man possessing neither inferiority nor superiority, but being like and equal in personhood and unique and different in function, end of quote. Verse 22 of Genesis 2, God crafts this amazing woman. He brings her to Adam. Have you ever thought, why did he do that? Why did he create Eve and then say, Eve, I want to introduce you to this guy. This is a match made in heaven. God's a matchmaker. All right, here it is. He introduces her. He does not introduce another man to Adam, okay? That's, that's, you, you can't do that, or you can't have a, a human race, okay? He, so, so he brings this woman to this man, and, and there it is. You have the creation of the first institution ever created by God. It wasn't a sports team. It wasn't a business. It wasn't a combat battalion military unit. It, it was not even a church, the first sociological phenomena that God ever created was the family. God's family. God's ideal right here in Genesis chapter 1. Amazing. Smattering of applause. Okay, good, thank you. Give me a round of applause. I appreciate it. No, 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 no. I, I, I wasn't asking you to do that. I was just, I was just, I was just, just saying Why value the family? Well, number one, because God created it. Number two is because of procreation. And I just want to talk about this for just a few minutes because I think sometimes we devalue something that is such a basic axiom of living, and that is to to procreate. In verse 28, he creates male and female to have fellowship with one another. And he has this great design, and this design of God is to go and and to obey his command and procreate. I love our little stage up here, by the way. Thank you, guys. We've got the little family thing going on, and, and I like that. I just got to get used to this creature here, this, this round thing here. Just like stepping out of my comfort zone. I love it. Okay, so verse 28, God commands them to be fruitful and to multiply. Is there any question as to what that means? Well, if you have a question, you need to ask your mom and your dad, okay? And they will explain that to you in due time. And by the way, mom and dad, I really encourage you to talk to your children a lot earlier than what you think you need to. Because I'm promising you, 
they're talking about it in elementary school, in early ages. All right, so go ahead and explain, uh, uh, explain to them. Now, I've come across this quote, and I don't read lengthy quotes very often. But, man, this was so powerful and so rich and explanatory of what we're talking about, the family and procreation. And the writer says, there is no place in God's good order of unisexuality. Okay. There is no place for that. Or for any diminishing or confusion of sexual identity. Human sexuality in Genesis is a blessed function in the creative purposes of God, and it is essential for carrying out God's mandate for humanity. Now, what he's saying is highly explosive. Who who would think, when I first started preaching 30 years ago, I never thought I would be sweating so profusely and be so nervous on preaching on something as basic and fundamental as a man and a woman getting married and having kids. But there's been a depth of spiritual warfare and difficulty you would not believe just in the preparation and or maybe you would believe it. This time last week, I was calling Ralph. Man, I was getting it out. I mean, I was sick as a dog. Maybe it was coincidence or maybe it was that tomato I ate. I don't know. Human procreation is not intended merely as a mechanism for replication Or is it just the expression of human passion? But it is instrumental in experiencing the covenant blessing of God. You see, when the man and the woman come together, then it says, and God blessed that, and then God commands that. Human life, unlike the lower orders, is not instructed specifically to reproduce after its kind. Listen now. This omission elevates the sexual experience and goal of the human family as being very, very distinctive. The text silence also infers that mankind is only of one kind. Since humanity is of one sort, the unity of the human race is prominently noted and concomitantly dismisses any notion that certain peoples are inherently superior or inferior, end of quote. That's very powerful. What he's saying is basically echoing and reverberating what Scripture teaches, and then he brings something that I've never really thought about. That God does not say go and reproduce after your kind because there is no Neanderthal kind, okay? There is no caveman monkey kind, okay? There's just one kind as a man and a woman, and they have DNA, and they have their... their their bodies and their spirits and their souls, and they are crafted and created by an awesome God. And part of that creation is, I want you to procreate. I don't have to tell you after your kind because there's only one kind. Aren't you glad today you're one of the seven billion who's a man or a woman? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad didn't God did not create you this pretty little pillow? You're not a pillow. You're not a speaker. You're not an eagle in the air. You're not a roach crawling on the ground. You are a man. And you are a woman. And I just think that's the coolest thing. Who in the world could have ever thought of that? God says, thank you very much. I thought of that. That's my idea. And here's so the beauty of it. He brings us together. He allows us to meet and fall in love. And then to have children or to procreate. And while I'm here, let me just say a word to you. There's a real word here for affirmation. 
for you being precisely the way you are. You know, you've heard these old cliches. You know, when God created you, man, he threw away the mold. Guess what? That's no cliche. God crafted you and he created you precisely the way he wanted you. And you may be old-fashioned like me and still believe that God has somebody special for you and you can marry a lot of people and be happy, but Mary, you can marry one woman and you can be really happy, all right? There are some things, if, if God were to ask me, I, I would like to change, wouldn't you? Some of you would say, well, I'd like to be a little heavier. Some of you like to say, some of you going, honey, I never had that problem wanting to be heavier. <laughs> I can tell you millions of, of, of adolescents and boys in high school who were trying to make the football team, they would love to be 30 pounds heavier, okay? I wish God would have given me another foot. I, I'll just be honest with you. I would have taken 6'6". Six, six. It would have been fine with me. I'm okay with that. But I didn't get a vote on that. Or you say, I wish I had green eyes instead of brown eyes. I, I, I wish my feet weren't so big. I wish they weren't so small. I wish, I wish. Let me tell you something, guys. That is futile. God created you just the way you are, and he thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're awesome. In fact, he did throw away the mold. You are special. You are created in the image of mm, you didn't come from no goo to the zoo to finally you. Nope. God said, let you be. I'm going to craft you and make you. And listen to this. God put you in the precise family that he wanted you to be in. You say, but wait a minute, man. I got some crazy siblings and I got some cousins that are off there rocking. My mom and dad, I'm not so sure about them either. Listen, God doesn't make mistakes, okay? He's created you. He's crafted you. Enjoy being a woman. Enjoy your femininity. Men, enjoy being a man and enjoy your masculinity. I know it's basic, but I also know we need to share these messages. Number one, God created the family. Number two, he gives commands to the family. Have more, have babies. And then thirdly, and I just got to share this with you, and it's so obvious, but look at, verse, at number three. He exalts the family, the exaltation of the family. In Genesis 1, 28, it says, Then God barak them. That old Hebrew word is so rich. Barak has three definitive definitions in the Hebrew, and I'm going to give these to you. Number one, it means to be truthful. Number two, it means to be elegant. And number three, it's not inimical, meaning it's, not, it's nothing harsh about it. To Barak means, God says, I bless you, I, 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 I love you, I'm, I'm just pouring out favor and joy upon you. It means that it's nothing harsh, it is a blessing, it is an honorable thing. And God looks down at this first couple and he goes, I just adore you, people. And I adore the concept that was birthed in my mind, and now it's come to fruition that you are husband and wife. They are valued separately as human beings, and they're valued corporately as a family, a basic homogeneous unit of a family. When you come over to the New Testament and you ask, well, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about homosexuality? Nothing because he didn't need to. Excuse me? He doesn't need to. Because Scripture is very, very clear, and so is this what Jesus said. And Jesus answered them and said to them, Have you not read 
that he who made them at the beginning. People, have you not read this? And Jesus, sometimes he can be, he can kind of get in your face, okay? And he's rebuking them when he says, have you not, have you not read that he who made them, by the way, Jesus believes in creation. God made them, the Father, and he made them male and female. And said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Don't you love this? Therefore what God has joined. Would y'all let that just saturate in your mind? Just ruminate, cogitate, just let that simmer in your brains and in your spirit for a moment. God joined together. So let not man separate, let not man tamper with this. Families, indeed, they do matter. If you're part of a family today, by the way, all of us are. You say, well, I'm single By the way, I've got a sermon for singles coming up, and I'm really excited about preaching because we have lots of singles in our church, and 51% of Austin is single. So I'm looking forward to sharing a message about being single. Maybe single, maybe a teenager, maybe an adolescent, maybe a husband, wife. What, what God has created is very, very special. When Genesis 3 comes, sin enters the world, and then you begin to see these things that have infested our society ever since. Things such as abuse and rape. In my former church, I had a friend of mine who was a lesbian. I said, excuse me? You had a friend that was what? Yeah, she was a lesbian. I bet she didn't attend your church. Yes, she did. She was very welcome to attend our church, and she did. And we were having, she was having some difficulty with her daughter, and her and her partner were. And um, so I reached out to him. I said, hey, why don't you, why don't you come see me? Let, let's talk about it. So she did. She's my friend. She comes to the office, and I'm, I'm sitting there across from her, and I'm telling her, I'm saying, listen, I, let, let's talk about this. Let's work this thing out. And so we're talking about it. She has a teenager, okay? And teenagers are tough at times. Amen. Yep. <laughs> and it was especially tough for her, okay, in her setting. So I took a moment. We, we walked through that, and we unpacked that. We prayed through that. And then I just took a moment. I just want to say, you, you know what I think about you, don't you? She goes, where are you coming from? She, she, I said, you're my friend. You know I, I appreciate you, and I'm glad you're, you come to my church. But you also know I disagree with your lifestyle. You, you didn't tell her that. I mean, but when you told her, you, you got mad, didn't you? I mean, didn't you get I mean, eyes popping, veins protruding? Didn't you get in her face and go, you heathen, lesbian, what is your... No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that at all. But what she did next, I will never forget. Tears well up in her eyes. She said, Pastor, can I tell you about my father who was a pastor who repeatedly raped me as a girl, as a child? Are you interested in hearing this? 
I said, I am. And she began to weep. Let me tell you something, church. I began to weep. I mean, they were where we were two human beings, and we were very much different in our ideologies and our philosophies and our theologies. But she could tell I cared for her, and I listened to her. She told me about a Baptist dad pastor who repeatedly raped her. And I thought about Genesis chapter 3. And I thought about the fall of man. And sin enters the world, and its tentacles reach out. I'm not condoning anything. All I'm saying is people hurt. And we do a whole lot better sitting down with them and tell them we love them, lovingly disagree with them instead of whacking them over the head with the Bible. Is that okay? Can I share that with you? Okay, so um, maybe you're here today and you would say, well, man, I Let's go back to something you said earlier. You were saying something earlier about God created me special. And would you tell me that again? Because I sure like to hear that. And, and people do. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that God loves me and God loves you. And he crafted you. He created you. Body, soul, spirit. He, he wants to have fellowship with you. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to know the love and the purpose that he has for your life. And here's how you find that. You humble yourself like little Lincoln did in the baptistry. You just humble yourself before Almighty God and say, God, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I've got problems. God, sometimes I am a problem. God, would you just forgive me and show me your plan and your purpose for my life? Boom. That's when it starts to happen. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes out of heaven and he comes into your repentant, believing heart. And Jesus Christ comes in you and he begins to live his life through you, a life of passion. Listen, a life of truth, a life of confrontation, yes, but it's always confronted with love and with, and with humility and with compassion. Oh, I invite you today, if you don't know the Lord, if you're, not, if you're not in relationship with Him, I invite you today to give your heart to Christ. Surrender your will to Him. Let Him come and heal your broken spirit. If you're here today and you know the Lord and, man, you're on this journey with me and and you resonate with what I'm saying. I want you to listen to me very carefully with what I'm about to say, because I don't say this enough. If you resonate with what I'm saying, now let me go back to what I said initially. This is the truth, this is the anchor, and this is where we are. This is just where we are, okay? As a culture, as a society, we have drifted away, and I believe we will continue to drift further and further away from the truth. Because when the most powerful man in the world says... I have evolved. I am no longer antiquated and old-fashioned in my belief about marriage. I do believe as the President of the United States of America that it is A-OK for a man to be with a man and a woman to be with a woman. It's A-OK. Let me tell you something. When, when somebody that powerful makes that statement, just go ahead and step a little further. Okay? You're going to continue, we're going to continue as a culture to drift. We're going to drift away from the God who created us, and the God who loves us. I don't say this enough, but I want to say it today. If you are with me, and you're ready to turn your face against an, a, a sailing wind, and you're willing to reach out to God and like this, strive to lead this culture back to the Lord, this is the church for you. Okay? Now listen to me. Be, be careful what you're getting into. 
Because, guys, it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. And it would be so easy for me to use what little gifts and public speaking I have to pack this place out and to give stories and to, and to just fill everybody with goody-goody gumdrops. But I'm in this passionate pursuit of taking this culture and this society and saying, let's, let's go back to him. And I do believe if God will send the wave of a spiritual awakening or revival, it'll put wind in our sails and we will get back closer. I had a professor say it like this. When the wind of the Spirit blows, may our sails always be set. May they be set. And when God's Holy Spirit blows, Great Hills Baptist Church, when he blows across us, may we with unity and with passion and with fervor, may we embrace the precious Lord Jesus Christ and yield ourselves to the authority of his word. I want to pray for you if you would. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to invite those of you here today that don't have a relationship with the Lord. You don't, you don't know Him. I mean, really, you don't, you don't walk with Him and serve Him. Listen, I, I just, with great compassion, I, I come alongside of you and say, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Would you today say, God... I've blown it, doing it my way. I really need to try it your way. In fact, more than try it, God, I need to yield myself to you. Would you do that today? I mean, some of you for the very first time. It's not the eloquence of our prayers. It is the attitude of our heart that leads to salvation. It, it just goes something like this. God, help. I can't do this on my own. I surrender. I surrender all. We want to take you in. We want to nurture you. We want to baptize you. We want to disciple you. You allow us to do that. Others of you are here today and you know the Lord. And not everybody, I understand that, but some of you resonated with what I said at the conclusion of this message. You genuinely, genuinely want to stand with Christ and His Word. And though you're assailed by the frigid winds of tolerance, you, you want to set your face like a flint. And you would like to have a pastor in a church that would join you in that. Then this is your church. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? You need to come on. You need to get busy. We need to know that you're going to join us before we can give you a job to serve with us. That's just the way membership goes. So we invite you to come. We invite you to be a part of our little army that's growing day by day thanks to the good hand of God's favor upon us. So Lord, we just come before you now in the invitation time. and God, we just want to yield ourselves to you. We, we ask you, God, for those that are listening and those who are really tracking with us, that God, they would respond with obedience and with alacrity, God, with eagerness and willingness, not a procrastinating. Lord, we can't procrastinate no more. We've got so much work to do for you, and we can do so much more together than we ever could by ourselves. So, Father, we just give this invitation to you. We ask you to speak. We ask you to help us respond with obedience, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have counselors and pastors here at the front. If you need someone just to come and pray with you and encourage you, why don't you step out from where you are and why don't you make your way down here at the altar and let us encourage you and pray for you today. Would you stand with me, please? Terry's going to lead us in a song.
And all over the sanctuary, God bless you. I just pronounce a wonderful blessing over you and your family, your marriage. And may God bless you now as you respond.